0: Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter, beginning in the 8th verse. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks
1: be to God. The Gospel according to Luke. Over the past few weeks, including the last two, and in the future weeks, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer or more properly named, the Disciples' Prayer, since it is Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. And today we arrive at what's called the second and third petition of the Lord's Prayer. Yep, I only get one week to do two. John got two weeks to do two, but I'm not counting. The preface of the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father. And two weeks ago, John pointed out the closeness of that relationship. God is our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is with us. And then last week, John took the second part, the first petition, Hallowed be thy name. And he talked about the transcendence, the glory of the name of our Father. Father, God's eminence. In heaven, His transcendence. Everything we said, Everything we sang, everything we prayed, everything we heard was about the greatness of God's name, who is above every name, and one day every knee will bow. This morning, we we're actually leaving Luke's gospel, and we we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. In Luke, we see the second petition of the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come. But he has left out the third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we shouldn't be afraid of this, for Jesus could have taught this prayer in many different times. Or we can just look at the emphasis of the two writers. If you just look at Matthew's genealogy, he states in Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew wants his readers to know that Jesus is the Messiah the long-anticipated anointed one that was promised to God's people that would redeem them just as God had redeemed them from Egypt and would reestablish his kingdom through the lineage of David. That's what Matthew's focus is. If you look at Luke's genealogy, he takes it all the way back to Adam. But Matthew wants us to focus on the Messiah, on the coming kingdom. Because God had promised his people that he would establish David's kingdom forever. That was our Old Testament reading from 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel prepares the stage for God's redemptive work for his people, to redeem his people. It was to point, it was to this point that the Jews waited for God to intervene on their behalf and consummate all of human history. Through the fulfillment of the promise of the Davidic covenant, God's people would once for all know peace. They would once for all have rest from their enemies. They would live in a place where God would dwell amongst them in perfect community forever. If you want to read of the expectation of the Jewish people, read Zacharias' response, John the Baptist's father in Luke 1. This was the anticipation of all the Jewish people. And to this people, Jesus came to preach. The king has come. So we will look at Matthew 6 this morning. Because the second and the third petition of the Lord's Prayer go hand in hand. God's people cannot pray that God's kingdom would come and then not also pray that his will be done on earth. Now, as it is now in heaven. Because the king is obeyed where the king rules. But before we begin, let's pray that the spirit will open the eyes of our hearts. and minds. Please pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for letting us rise this morning. For the ability to come and to meet with you, the God of creation. Lord, please bless this time. Open the eyes of our hearts. Soften those hearts that are hard. Lord, use these words of the good news of the gospel to encourage us, to remind us of what Jesus has done and is doing through His Spirit living inside of us. Lord, I lift up Miss Janet. Heal her. Remove her sickness. Lord, I pray for Priscilla Turner. Heal her. You hear our prayers. You are alive and working. We lift up Mr. Billy and Mr. Jim. Give them strength. Lord, we lift up Miss Shirley and Miss Debbie and Sarah Brashears and the Pike family who have suffered loss. Comfort them. Allow this church to encourage them and be a comfort. Father, we pray for Fayette County, that the kingdom of God will be established by all the churches, by the preaching of the gospel through the power of your spirit. We pray for the state, Lord, for the opioid epidemic. Lord, people are searching for something, and they're not searching for you. Open up their hearts. Lord, we pray for our senators. We pray for our nine representatives. Use them under your power to bring forth your kingdom. We pray for President Trump. May he be a conduit of your redemption. He receives all of his authority from you. May he be your servant, a good representative of the master. We pray for your world, Lord. We pray for the missionaries that need you and your spirit to work. Because they cannot preach any more than I can preach and change hearts. They need the power of the Spirit to give those hearers a new heart. Bless us, Lord, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew 6, verse 10. And when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you have had your wheels out of alignment? In 2009, there was an ice storm in Arkansas, and as I was going to work, my car slid and hit the curb. It didn't take very long to realize that my front passenger tire wheel was out of shape. My car began to wobble as I was driving. And every time I would let go of the steering wheel, it wouldn't just drift to the left it would take a 90-degree left turn. The car was pulling me off the course where I was trying to go. And to fix it, I needed to get my wheels realigned. And when you take your wheels to get real- realigned, they look to see if it's tow, camber, or caster. Tow means that your front wheels are not aligned with where your car is going. Caster means your wheels are not perpendicular to the road. Sorry, camber and caster is that the angle from the steering pivot is not straight from the back of the car to the front. Now, all of these are different issues, but all of them need the same way to be fixed. They all need to be realigned. What the Lord's Prayer is teaching us is that our hearts are not aligned with God. What we find the Lord's Prayer is that it's giving us reason to realign. When we, call, when we come to the Father with different sins, He has to align us. We all come from different backgrounds, different sins that torment us. Some of us struggle as Christians with legalism. We raise the bar of expectations for other people, but we lower it for ourselves so we receive grace. We condemn people for their actions. But when we do the same thing, we make excuses. Maybe we hold something against someone because they've wronged us in some way. But yet we seek forgiveness for ourselves. Some of us struggle with a license to sin. Well, if Jesus is saved save me from my sin, we say, then I don't have to worry about sin. My sin isn't a big deal. Jesus covered me. Some of us might even struggle with unwarranted guilt. We forget all too quick, quickly the complete work of Jesus on our behalf. And the words of gospel that should bring us life crush us. These are all examples of how sin knocks us out of alignment with God. The Lord's Prayer, much like the students were studying the Psalms right now, Is given to realign us. When the Lord's Prayer is prayed with the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus aligns us as our calling as God's people. And because He realigns us, we must do two things. We must yearn for God's mission and we must yield to God's will. We must yearn for God's mission. How do we do this? How do we yearn? for God's mission. Well, I think we can do it a couple ways. First, we need to look the scriptures and see what is God's mission. And the answer that we find is from Genesis to the Exodus, to Jesus' death and resurrection, to the consummation and revelation, his purpose is to establish his kingdom as the goal of human history. The goal of history is for God to redeem his people and his creation so they may enjoy him forever. There he shall be king, and we shall be his people. There we shall live in peace from our enemy. There his reign will never be challenged. There we will live in perfect community with him and never have the fear of being cast out because of our sin as Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. Never again will we fear that sin will separate us from the love of God because sin will be vanquished, death will be destroyed, and Satan will be conquered. But as I stated earlier, because of our sin, we often don't desire to be part of God's kingdom. But this is exactly why we are given this prayer. When we don't want to be part of God's mission, what do we do? We pray. We pray that the Spirit changes our hearts. We pray that the Father will reveal to us how we can partake of his mission of redemption. We pray as Christ Presbyterian Church that we will see how we may join together in God's mission, bringing forth the kingdom of God in Fayette County. How do we bring forth the kingdom of God the same ways the disciples did in the same way that Jesus did? By preaching the kingdom and by pushing back the darkness. In Luke 11:14 14 through 23, directly after the Lord's Prayer, we see Jesus go head to head with the demonic. He is pushing back the kingdom of darkness. Then we look at Acts 28, 31. The very last verse of Acts says that Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. We push back the darkness. We proclaim the kingdom of God. We as God's people proclaim the kingdom. We expand the kingdom by making God known as king of creation over the entire earth by the power of the Spirit. This is what Israel was supposed to do in the Old Testament. Israel was supposed to be God's treasured possession amongst the peoples as a kingdom of priests. There, nowhere else in the entire world was Yahweh known, worshipped, and declared as the one true king. Jesus' mission in the New Testament was to reclaim that kingdom, but no longer just for Israel but for the entire world. Jesus' mission was to bring forth the fulfillment of Abraham's mission, the father of Israel, to bless the families of the earth. Jesus' mission was to establish the Davidic kingdom forever. Is this what you yearn for? Do you desire the kingdom to be present? Do you desire for the kingdom to be present amongst your family, in this community, over the state and nation, throughout the world? Because this is what the church has been commissioned to do. To take the gospel to the ends of the earth. To proclaim that the gospel, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom is not to just announce a new religious experience or doctrine. And still less, it's not just about a future salvation of a world that we will someday go to. The gospel is the announcement that God, through the work of Jesus Christ, is moving all of history for his purpose. The Jewish nation had been chosen to be God's channel of redemption for the entire world. And now this is our calling. We begin to yearn for Jesus' mission when we sit under the preaching of the kingdom. We begin to yearn for Jesus' mission right here by letting the Spirit move in our hearts. This prayer, your kingdom come, is a prayer that God's people pray. That God will work through them and bring forth what God's people had been called to do since Genesis 12. That they would be the channel of redemption for the world. The same kingdom mission that Jesus preached, we are to preach. The same kingdom mission that the disciples were sent out to proclaim, we are sent out to proclaim. The same kingdom that Abraham was set apart for, we are set apart for. Do you not know that we are on a kingdom mission? We are invited. We are called to take part of the grand story of God's redemption, of his entire creation. The one true story. God established his kingdom at creation, and we broke it. He fixed it through Jesus, and now we are asked to join in fighting for every square inch of the kingdom. This is our calling. This is why we pray, thy kingdom come. Yet we all must admit it is something that we cannot do under our own power. This is a prayer because we need God's help. I'm sure you've all heard me say this, but when I was in England um, at school, my professor there said a catchy phrase. It's not whatever. But what he said was, when men, men work, men work. When men pray, God works. Without the work of Jesus, without the work of the Holy Spirit changing our hearts, changing the hearts of those who hear the word, changing the minds of those who see our works, the kingdom of God will never be established. So we begin our mission on our knees, asking for God to bless us. We ask for God to empower us. We ask God to re Align us. We must yearn for God's mission and we must yield to God's will. The will of God comes hand in hand with the kingdom of God. Here, God is king. His will will be carried out as it is now in heaven. And as a reformed church, we all assume and believe in God's hidden will. We believe, as the students studied last year at RYM, that God is at work even when it seems that He's not. We believe that God has sovereign power over all of history. Nothing happens outside of His plan. But this is not what Jesus is referencing here is the sovereign will of God. He is speaking of God's revealed will. What God has asked us, His people, to do according to his word. Just a few weeks ago, I took a a short survey of our high school students who were going to attend prom. I asked them, how many of you, once your parents gave you the guidelines and rules for prom, immediately thought of ways to bend those rules? And I won't out anyone, but the percentage was pretty high. The parents revealed to the children what their will was. You will be home at, don't participate in, please, God has also revealed His will to us. Love God above all things. Love your neighbor as yourself. Obey His commandments. Produce the fruit of the Spirit. Bring up your children in the faith of the Lord. Love those who are unlovable. Repent of your sin. This is God's will for us. But do we yield to do God's will over what we desire? Do you desire that the Spirit of God change our hearts that we may learn to love what pleases Him and that we will hate what displeases Him? Do you desire that when you realize that your will does not align with God's will, that the Spirit will change your heart. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what the angels are doing. They are doing the bidding of their king. This is what we are called to do. This is what we are called to desire we are called to yield to our King. Through faith in Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, God calls us to realign with the revealed will of our God. How are you seeking the will of God? I believe some of us want to do the will of God more than others. Ask yourself, do you desire this? Or are you holding out, saying, I'll follow you in this way, but I won't follow you over there. Do you yearn for God's mission? Do you yield to God's revealed will? When you don't do these things, To our own sorrow, we find ourselves at the foot of the cross, along with the Jews, crying out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. We are either for God or we are against God. Yet. God our Father has had mercy upon us through Jesus Christ. He found us out of alignment, and by the power of His Spirit, He has made us new. He has redeemed us. He has empowered us to produce His Spirit. Because as Jesus, we can claim that the King has come. In the restoring of his creation, we preach the gospel now. He is changing hearts. He is changing minds and relationships and churches and cities and cultures right now through the preaching of the word. And when Jesus, our king, returns, his kingdom will be better than Eden. There, God's people will be in communion with God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever, and his reign will have no end. If your belief in the gospel is an individual coming to know Jesus, and that they are saved from their individual sins, and they wait for death so they may reach a heavenly realm, I'm sorry, but you misunderstand the gospel. That's too small of a view for the kingdom of God. It's too small of a view of the will of God. Yes, the gospel includes those things, but it is not limited to individual salvation. The gospel always points us outward, calling our communities to see that the king has come. Jesus is sitting on his throne from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God has revealed to his people that their calling is to now bless the nations. Not to sit on their pot of gold and wait for his return. This was the goal of Adam. Be fruitful and multiply. It was more than just him. This was the call of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In you the families of the earth will be blessed. It was not just about their salvation. And Jesus is better than Adam, for he did the will of the Father. Jesus is the true Israel. He embodied what God had called them to be, a light unto the nations. He fulfilled the mission of God in proclaiming the kingdom has come. And Jesus calls us to do what he did, but not just as an example. He has called us to be set apart holy. but he did it in a perfect way, in a broken world. And he empowers us, even in our broken world, to bless those around us. This is what God wants for you. This is what God wants from you. And the good news is that he doesn't leave it to our strength, but he gives us the power. To do it when the Spirit lives inside of you, He will produce His fruit, and we bear fruit not for ourselves, just like a tree never bears fruit for itself, the fruit is always for something outside of itself. The Spirit working inside of us does, does secure our individual salvation, but it never ends there. Its goal is to bless the nations. The fruit is for those around us. The power of the Spirit living inside of you is giving you the power you need to bring forth the kingdom. The power of the Spirit living inside of you is giving you the power to do the will of God. And this is the good news of the gospel. You cannot do it. Jesus has already done it. Once you realize this, then and only then, Will the will of the Father be done here on earth as now in heaven? Then and only then can we be a light amongst our families, amongst our co workers, at the grocery store. This week I received an email from a friend of mine from seminary who's a missionary in Russia. And it was only by God's grace that his email was about this very passage about the Lord's Prayer. And this is what he said. It is fascinating that when Jesus teaches his his disciples this prayer in Matthew 6, it in many ways mimics his own wilderness temptation a couple of chapters, chapters earlier. There Satan offers Jesus false nourishment, a false kingdom, and false deliverance. In teaching us to pray the Lord's Prayer, Jesus prepares us for overcoming overcoming similar temptations. We are reminded that in everything we do, we participate in his kingdom. Our greatest longing, desires, and even our goals should be shaped by this reality. We are reminded that all of our physical and spiritual nourishments ultimately come from him. And finally, and perhaps because it is precisely in those two places we are most prone to forget, Jesus teaches us to pray for deliverance from temptation. Why? Because the power, because the only power that can deliver us from temptation is being reminded of the grace of his presence. And that's exactly what Jesus promises in Matthew 28. And surely I am with you to the end of the age. Lord, this morning, I do not want your will to be done. I want my will to be done. But I pray this prayer prayer, that the power of your spirit will change my will to conform to your will. Lord, this morning, I don't desire for your kingdom to come. But I pray this prayer so that I will yearn for your mission, for your kingdom to come. We pray this prayer because under our own strength, under our own works, we will always and only want what is good for ourselves and not what is best for others. Shape me, Lord Jesus. Shape us to pray as you do. Shape us to be a blessing to the families of all the earth. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Now if you turn in your bulletins, We confess with the Westminster Shorter Catechism what we believe about this prayer.